Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waugh. It's Dark Castle continuing this month. And you can tell you've already looked at it. It's 2002's Ghost Ship. Ghost Ship. Oh, Space Ghost Ship would have been <laughs> <Yeah>. better. <laughs> or we can, the Ghost Ship. Lots of jokes to be made here. Yes. Insert joke here. This is a true getting the band back together for Dark Castle. It's Steve Beck returning from 13 Ghosts. Of course, the same producers, Joel Silver, Bob Zemeckis, and Gil Adler. Gail Tattersall again back behind lensing this one. And John Frizzle, who also did the score for 13 Ghosts. I mean, everybody that was in there for the party for 13 Ghosts are back again with probably maybe a top 10 opening of any fucking horror movie ever. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, this. It's a good one, man. Fucking thing, dude. Every time I see this opening, it's so great. Because you know it's coming, <laughs> yeah. but it's still like, oh, you know. It's, it's, it's so rough, dude. It's so rough. It's so well executed. Again, that tag team of physical and digital, really. I mean, this is like these movies, these three movies that we've covered so far have that connective tissue of we understand the importance of physical effects and now we're just polishing things up a bit with the digital. And no better proof of that is the opening scene of this movie. And it is, fuck, man. Again, the KMB guys are back as well as Photon to handle the digital side of things. And it, I can, there's something about Berger and his team at KMB. They just fucking know how to pull this shit off. And, and as we discussed in the last episode, how important it is for visual effects guys to physical visual effects guys understand how cameras work and lenses work and they do. And that's another reason why I think Steve Beck was brought back for this one is because of the kind of intricate marriage there was for physical and digital and being the visual effects guy that he is. It just made, made sense. And that opening scene, man, is the best thing about the movie. And unfortunately it kind of sets a very high bar for it to live up to the rest of the way. Yeah, I was going to say th this movie out of the three so far that uh, we've covered uh, definitely has more CGI than the other two. Yeah. Um, just by nature of ghosts and we're seeing ghosts. So, of course, the opening kind of, you know, it's the best thing and the worst thing that could have happened to this movie yeah. because it's so great. But then there's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> yeah. In the movie, you can tell that it's been heavily rewritten. It was originally a, a script called Chimera. And I got to say, the moments in the movies that feel like The Shining, I think that was mostly from the original script. I think this was supposed to be, instead of a mountain-esque, you know, a buried in the mountains hotel, uh, this is that same thing. It's a luxury liner. You know, and it's, it's, the, it's the hotel on the ocean is really what it comes down to. And it is, you could just feel the, the Shining moments in it. Yeah. And because they kind of, the shining moments kind of weave themselves in and out of the movie, they're very jarring, especially the stuff with, uh, you know, when you have your leader in this who's an alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, can you be a little bit more, a little bit heavy, more heavy handed with that, right? Right. And then also, the, you know, the movie has its own room 237 moment in it, too. I mean, like, yes. it's identical. Yeah, 100% it is. But they ruin it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I thought it was a great moment. And we'll kind of get to that. But the, that, I mean, I thought it was well executed. It was just like, it just, when you have those moments in there that just feel like a different movie and it kind of, 
it jars the movie a bit. You can see that the highlights of the movie feel like one movie in the things that probably from the old script they kept in there because they, oh, this was clever and that was the wrong reason to keep them in the movie. I don't, I don't hate the movie, but it's definitely a movie that, like I said, has a high bar set by an amazing opening. And even if it was just a routine horror movie from that point forward, it would have been okay. But it does have moments where it's, it's a little schizophrenic and doesn't know what it's trying to be. Right. It, it does have a, it, it's got an identity crisis. I mean, and, but let's, let's go back. First of all, I'm going to say, uh, and I said this off camera, I'm going to say now, this has my favorite cast of the four movies yeah. that we're covering by far. And it's funny because like you pointed out, the majority of them, Sands, Gabriel Byrne, all TV actors at that point, that's what they were yeah. known for. Right. Urban hadn't become the Carl Rubin we know now. Isaiah Washington was, you know, kind of transitioning in and out of film. He'd been in, he'd been where he'd worked with Eastwood at this point. Um, he had worked with Steven Seagal, <laughs> um, you know, Jet Li, uh, you know, he was sort of becoming uh, that guy, that sort of go-to guy uh, for those sort of roles. Eldard, I think was right off of, or maybe he was still on ER at that time. Right. But I mean, yeah. this is a, this is a solid cast, man. And Gabriel right. Byrne, Julianne Margulies, who is my, she just seems a little miscast in this. Some, sometimes I'm just like, it's distracting because I just don't, I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird thing. And maybe it's because I was used to seeing her on ER, but yesterday when I was watching it, it was just, I kept looking at her thinking that, you know, they tried to make her too much like uh, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in the abyss. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, the hair, everything. And I think that's kind of what was throwing me. Cause I think she's a great actress. I just, in this, I was like, ah, it's weird. Um, it's not working for me. Could have just been my yesterday. It was hot yesterday. <laughs> but it, <laughs> having said that, great cast. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, there's a salvage movie in this movie that would have been kick ass. I like the salvage portion of this movie a lot. Yeah. Bef before they find the ocean liner. But once they get to the ocean liner, then the movie just kind of, it, it goes adrift, just like the boat, just like just the ghost like ship. The <laughs> What's kind of a bummer about it is when it kind of like, it feels like it's, and again, I feel like we're going to be making lots of nautical jokes throughout this whole thing. And that's, I mean, if we do, it's totally unplanned because we just got in the mic and started talking. It kind of writes itself. It feels like it's writing itself, right? And, you know, as far as the the bumpiness of, of the setup and it's almost like, it's so funny because like the whole salvage thing happens. And then once they run into the Graza, it's like, uh, I don't know it becomes a different movie. Right. It's kind of like that moment. It's kind of like the moment when they get to the bar and from dust till dawn, it's like, yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. And you know, what's a ghost ship, you know, it's fucking called ghost ship. So, you know, there's a ghost ship coming and that's where they're going to end up. But it's all of a sudden he gets there and it becomes a different movie. And then it's still not even sure what movie it's trying to be. Right. I mean, it's a short movie, right? I mean, it's 90 minutes. Oh yeah. And it's the shortest of the three so far. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying, doesn't it feel like it takes forever once they get to the Graza for anything to happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, okay, what's well, going to yeah. happen? And it's weird because, I, you know, I feel like, like, again, there's parts. Don't, do you think, don't you think like when you first, they're on the boat and we first get in there and I'm waiting for, you know, it, it, there's, there's a moment where I'm like, is this like deep rising? What's going to happen? You know, is, uh, is this guy going to, no, he's not. So there's like the, there's lots of parts and pieces of other movies that we love in this movie. And then this movie just sort of stews in its own 
murky water <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like nothing, it doesn't, it just doesn't take off. It starts, it starts and stops too much. It's like, it builds up some steam and then it like, you know, releases the, someone presses that valve and lets all the air out of the pressure cooker. And then, you know, it starts to build again and it just, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. Or it seems like it takes a while. I kind of talked off mic a little bit. The script changes from the original Chimera script they were, they were substantial. Isaiah Washington and his character Greer was supposed to be the Gabriel Byrne character in this situation. As far as the lead, he was the main man. And when you see the movie and you know, looking back on the movie, I'm like, yeah, that makes so much more sense to his actions and the way he carries himself in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Something else I came across after I saw the movie was that Steve Beck was talking about how after the 9-11 attacks, in the studio said, hey, we want this to be more about a good versus evil kind of thing. And they, so the and how it corrupts man and, and how they act. And I'm like, I get what they're saying and get what they're trying to do. And I and unfortunately, I think the, the unevenness that we get with this movie is stemming from something that happened externally. And, and a lot of movies around that time got modified because of what happened, you know, 20 years ago. Is the right thing to do? I don't know. For the sake of the movie, it's just it's just weird. The gore that's in the movie too, and obviously the opening, um, that stuff wasn't in the original script. I mean, the the people, the, you know, the, the the people that perish still died. It, it's just that it, the the original script didn't have all that visual. Um, basically, the thing that got, this movie would have been a PG thirteen across the board without that opening. Yes. And it sounds to me like the original script was written as such that it wasn't, it was supposed to be more of a psychological thriller, supernatural kind of thing, being less part of it. And I don't know, man, it's like you said, there, there's, there's moments in there that just are really good. Some moments that are really, at least just solid anyway. And the parts of it that are very confusing and, and, and some choices were made that don't make sense with the rest of the movie. And yeah. For me, one of the confusing parts is the little girl yeah. <laughs> of it all, right? Yeah. Is this a spoiler if I say she survives the opening right. <laughs> only to be... Now, those guys, they take her and they, they run her into... What do they do to... Do they, are they, what are they doing to that little girl in the room? I mean, do you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I was unclear of like... They take her and they and they drag her into a room and they close the door and then we what are we supposed to think happens they rape her or but then there's a is there a shot of her and they took her in there and hung her I, I mean I don't know what the fuck is going on first of all yeah there's moments in there where like when she find like when Juliana Margulies finds her character hanging her you know her body just hanging right it's like the the, the it's meant to make the audience think at least I did anyway. That she that hung she, you know, she lived and she just hung herself because she was just isolated from everybody, and everybody else was dead, right? Right. Again, the the movie has those moments in there that are really good and and just solid, and then and then like I said, the it has an identity crisis and kind of struggles, but but that there's a moment in the movie towards the end, actually towards the end, it is the end of the movie, and I'm not going to say what happens, but they play. This kind of, to me, is the epitome of what this movie and how a movie functions, or at times dysfunctions. There's a Mudvayne song that they shove at the end that just, and even though this movie came out in 2002, it really feels like it came out like 97, by the way, this put this song in there. Right? It's just like, 
John Frizzle's score is really good in it. That's what I want to point out. So when they just shove this song in there, no different than the Sweet Dreams cover in Haunted Hill. Right. It's not a plus, man. It it's like it doesn't. It just it does more damage than good. You couldn't just there was. I, I gotta think John had, probably had a really good score cue for that moment that would have worked so much better than it did. The way the movie ends, I'm okay with. I just don't like what they did with how they did it. You know, I'm okay with the fact that this is maybe a cyclical situation where the baddie in this keeps doing the same thing every 40 years or whatever we're saying it is now. I just don't like the whole <laughs> beyond cliched, you know, ambulance ending. Right. I don't like the execution. Right. I, I mean, you know, I like the, I mean, I like, I like the idea and the, and the, and the thought behind it. It's, it's just, uh, you know, the, the final execution of it is just kind of wanky for yeah. me. I mean, there's some great stuff. I mean, the stuff between Urban and Eldar is great. Oh, yeah. They're so much fun. Like, you know, to me, they don't get quite enough screen time. But again, you know, it's the old Spicoli thing. How much Spicoli is too much Spicoli? So I think they're about right with what they do. Some of the other things don't work so well, like the Gabriel Byrne, Margulies thing, you know, that there's some weird... This I don't want to say what the scene is because I don't want to get away. But that scene with the two of them where... It's just weird. Like it, these movies all have a bit in common. Like they all have like the, the end, the ending of the three movies, they're all very similar. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We get the friendly ghost that pops up to kind of save the day right. in each one of the movies, right. whether it's Catan or, or Matthew Lillard or, uh, yeah. or, you know, or this little girl in, in this case. Yeah. It's just, you know, you can definitely see a pattern when you, when, especially when you watch them back to back to back, right? There's a, there's a formula and the formula doesn't work as well third time around. Also, I think it's, this is probably the weakest of the scripts probably the third time around. Right. You know, with the version that they shot anyway. Yeah. That, that Mudvayne song. <laughs> it, it just credits. I mean, I felt like literally like I flipped the channel and was watching like MTV from 1999. Yeah. I don't understand the point of it. Honestly, I don't see the, the, the need for it because this thing could have played out like a straight up ghost story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it could have just been that, and he still could have pulled it off with that amazing opening, but they, 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 they just shoehorn too much of those. Right. Homage moments in there. And I'm like, it was just too much. Yes, that that's exactly, you just nailed it. What it is, is there's too many homages to other movies and not anything original, not anything original enough to stand out after the opening. Cause the opening is it's a moment, right? right? That's all. That's all a lot of anybody ever talks about when we talk about ghost ship anyway, is like the opening, you know, it's funny because I, I totally forgot that we got that whole end bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Like where, where the woman in red, you know, I, I forgot all about that because the opening is such a strong moment that all, that's all I remembered about the movie until we get into it. And then, then when it, when that, when you get that music cue and it, it all starts and I'm like, oh no. And I remembered it and I was like, oh, this is where, oh, oh God. Yeah. And it goes on forever. It does too. Like they use a long version of the song. Right. And again, this one, the part that I was talking about before, when you're seeing the ending and what happens as you're seeing, I'm just going to say it at this point, if you haven't seen Ghost Ship, right? Right. But the ending when Desmond and his crew are 
taking the gold back onto the ship, the cruise liner that saved Juliana from floating to her death. That part is being slow-mo. Okay, that tells me something that, all right, all right, cool, I get it. I understand now. He does this all the time. You know, the Graza was just another ship. Yeah. That he's, you know, using to collect souls. Okay, fine. Okay. But when they cut back to Juliana Marguerite's in the ambulance, it's normal speed. <laughs> yes. You're getting a racked, you know, image with Desmond in slow-mo, which made sense to me. It's almost kind of like it's a timeless thing. He, they work at a different pace, a different different speed and everything else. I get that. That part was clever and it worked for me. Again, it's a classic ghost story that works for me. Yeah, some movies just end that way. What's funny is like, you know, 13 Ghosts ends the way it ends and Haunted Hill ends the way it ends. This is the one that really sets up a sequel more than the other two. Yeah, absolutely. When it didn't need to. It made enough money. It could have done it. It made, you know, close to, I mean, close to 85, which is again, a nice return for a movie like this. What I did find interesting, and we kind of touched on this a little bit during the, the previous two episodes, the group of guys here that are producing this are, you know, they kind of started this all off, this, this type of movie in TV form with Tales from the Crypt. And Gil Adler actually flat out talks about that and admits to, not admits, but, you know, talks up the idea that, I guess after, while they were shooting Haunted Hill, Bob Zemeckis was saying to Joel Silver, hey, why don't we... Why don't we keep doing these? And that's how Dark Castle came about. At this point, this was their third movie. We they, they didn't have anything that we were aware of that was coming up after this. You know, when Demon Knight came out, there was like the expectations were were high because we're like if we're all fans of Tales from the Crypt. This is going to be great, a feature film version of it. But we were also worried: is this going to fall prey to the same thing that SNL skits? you being converted to feature films. Can it last a 90 minute movie or does it wear out its welcome earlier? You know, Demon Knight was so well you know, put together. The script was perfect. Yeah. It was an episode extended out to 90, you know, hundred minutes, whatever it ended up being. Yeah. But they wrapped it around it with such, you know, intricate storylines and stuff like that. And it didn't just feel thin. It didn't feel like you're waiting for the next thing to happen. It works as a, as a story. And I can be the same thing can be said about all three of the movies we've covered so far. But this one, like you were talking about, this is the one that was the, the original of the first three. The other two were remakes. And this are, as far as like the basic premise, and I feel like because the original script was probably very much an homage or a derivative of The Shining, they tried to keep those moments in there instead of just keeping them in a straight ahead ghost story. And I think that's where it hurts itself. I, I think the stuff they left in could have been taken out and just let it be what it looks like it's supposed to be and just to be a straight ahead B movie about ghosts on this ship. I think it just would have worked better. Absolutely. This kind of falls into the same subgenre with event horizon or um, another movie that came out in 2002, which I actually really like is David Tui's below, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it's Bruce Greenwood, Holt McCannally, Olivia Williams, but it, you know, it takes place on a haunted submarine. I, I was totally down for this movie, but th this, again, it tries to pay its homage to too many masters. <laughs> and, you know, what is it? Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none, I guess would be the best way to describe this movie. Right. It's all over the place. And where, where I said last week that 13 Ghosts was, you know, just kind of junky, like a junky fun movie. This one isn't this one is I, I, I found myself being nitpicky about shit in this movie that like 
and probably for no reason other than I was just, I guess maybe I was pissed. <laughs> I don't know what was, I, I got mad at the movie at one point, <laughs> like when the rats, when they opened the box of rats, I'm like, fuck you. How the fuck are there rats on this right. ship? What have they been eating for 40 years? Right. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. They're not ghost rats. No. You know, they all look healthy too. They like, you know, they look like they just went to the pet store and said, Hey, give me all the rats. I just, and I found myself just being nitpicky because I was like, I don't need all this. Just stop with this stupid shit. And let's, you know, let's try to write the ship. (laughs) What they didn't. In the end, it capsizes. (laughs) So the next 15 minutes of rest is going to be nautical jokes. Nautical jokes. You know, we have our Titanic shots and everything. Oh, yeah. Most of the ship stuff that you see in this is a scaled down on land ship that they built. And they learned a little bit from all the perils and pitfalls that James Cameron had making Titanic down in Baja. The, the money they had for Titanic just to build that ship down there is the entire budget for this movie. Yes. But they did a great job of selling the ship being on water and there are moments in there that are actually on water. Um, something that I found interesting though, <laughs> at the end of the movie, again, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about when the ship goes down <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, Juliana's character, when the shit goes down, it's safe, safe. She's on top of, she's just, okay. So I know some people are going to say it's a, it's a kind of a wink and nod to, to Titanic instead of being a door, it's this trunk. I thought it was more of a Joe versus volcano thing. Yeah. Right. That's all I could think of. Yeah. Cause Joe was a dead man. All of a sudden there's these trunks that he's been dragging around the whole movie to save, to save him. I kind of think it was more like that, but, but when they were filming that scene, they were in waters that are known to be shark heavy and they didn't know that before they went down there to shoot him. And, and Gil Adler was talking about how, Oh, they're ready to do all this stuff. And by the way, we might have a shark problem here, but you should be okay. Most likely you'll be fine. <laughs> so it was like, so they end up having to build this contraption, this big, uh, like, I think they said it would be like, like 20 by 20 underwater thing that would prevent any kind of critters getting in and towards them. Like a shark cage? <laughs> sort of. Uh, but uh, I just thought that was interesting. It's like going, so why didn't you just do this? The your, Most of the movies not is, is uh, with the water stuff is done in a tank anyway. So why didn't you just do it in a tank? I mean, you're not afraid to use green screen in the movie. I just thought. Right. Obviously not. It's like, did you, did you need to do that? Obviously at this point, you know, it's kind of hard to step into your junior year and, because that's always that's always been considered the coasting year, right? The the year that you got to do the most work, the year that you slack off the most, even before you become a senior, is your third year of high school. We were kind of, eh, eh. This feels like that. It feels like they didn't. You've overcome your sophomore year, right? You're kind of like, all right, I understand how this high school thing works, and maybe you get a little, a, a little overconfident in what you're capable of doing, right? <laughs> and think that you understand things and you really don't. This movie kind of feels like you're, you're my year into your high where you're like, what am I, I guess I don't know what the fuck's going on. And it gets, it's a little confusing, a little, and this movie has its moments where it shines and other moments where I've seen derivatives of this since that 
or at least consistent, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, it, the mediocrity is there across the board. That's just about moments where it really shines as a go, a, a true ghost story. And other times it just, I know we sound kind of repetitive now, but that's kind of the point is it's kind of like the movie. Yeah. It's difficult to swallow. And then when you're kind of like, I think you and I are pretty good about, about sticking with something when we're watching, not even just for the show, but you know, just because we understand what it takes to make a movie and everything. It takes a lot for me to shut something off. Yeah. Yeah. It has to really be beyond awful for me to like shut it off. If I've, if right. I've, if I'm, if I've tapped it in, then I'm going to finish it. Right. This isn't that bad. This isn't no, it's as not. bad as like, you know, this, I was never like, you know, when I saw the original, I, I was never at a point where I, I want, I'm going to get up and leave. But the thing we just mentioned once, and I think that it's that opening scene that keeps you in the seat going, all right, you're going to fix this, right? <laughs> I'm going to make the dumb joke again. You're going to get back on course, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, look, I saw in the theater, it plays better. It played, you know, in a theater, you know, everything to me is better in a theater, obviously. Yeah. I remember it, it looked great. It looked good. But I still kind of had some of the same problems like, oh, really, you know, and then the, you know, the pacing, the pacing is weird. Like I said, for a 90 minute movie, man, it seemed was, it seemed like it was well over two hours. I, I was just like, I was shocked when I looked at my watch and realized, you know, it, it, I started at around one in the afternoon and, you know, it was like 229, it was done. <laughs> I was like, wow, did I just go into like a time warp? Is it? Really, only ninety minutes went by. It felt like I had been watching that thing for two plus hours. Like I slipped into some sort of like wormhole or something for, you know. And I was like, "Oh God, it was only ninety minutes, but it seems like nine hundred. Mark Hanlon, who wrote the original Chimera script, he recently got on and it was and doing interviews for the movie. Uh, just just doing interviews in general, and he was talking about his original script versus what they finally did with the movie. He did a pass. He did a rewrite based on their notes. So some of the stuff that you see in the movie that feels out of place and disjointed are those notes. Some of those things were written by him. And it was funny was he was talking about how the things that the more things they want to put in there, the more sticking with the psychological aspect of it, not jumping into making it more like a William Castle movie. And part of me is like going, well, dude, this is like three years, right? Three years after Haunted Hills come out, you, you, the branding is already there. And I'm sure that you knew what the branding was. You just weren't going to turn down the job. That's fine, man. You were selling a script. It's not a big deal. But he said that, you know, Chris McQuarrie was going to be doing a pass on it and he was going to direct it. And which is weird if you think about it. I'm like, oh, what, what the hell was Chris McCory doing around 2002 or 2001 when he was going to do this movie? Right. It's weird because Hanlon was talking about the changes that were made. And I, and I agree that they, they are the things that kind of disjoint it. But I think some of the things that they changed about it and took things out of what he had written, maybe some of the parts that we're talking about that we like the best. You know, I think the stuff that they left in there that seems more jarring are those shining moments based on, again, if I'm sitting here, you know, listening to this guy talk about how his movie is more psychological, well, that sounds like the shining to me. Right. And to me that goes, all right, so the stuff that they left in that feels out of place, that's his stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that general William Castle vibe that we were both kind of into 
is the stuff that we're kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm into this. I'm into this. And then they start sticking in those moments of, is this really happening kind of moments, which is what The Shining has a ton of as far as the Kubrick version. Right. I I don't want to say I'm disappointed in the movie. It's just the bar is so fucking high with that opening. I want to know, again, because... Hanlon saying that none of that gore was in the movie. I want to know whose idea it was to put that opening in there and be as graphic as they were because they single-handedly made one of the most memorable openings, probably one of the most memorable scenes in the history of the horror titles that Dark Castle made to actually being the thing that hinders it the most. Right. I, I'd love to know who <laughs> who over at Dark Castle made that, made that call because... Right. It's brilliant. And also, how would you, how, you know, it's a great idea and it, and it's beyond beautifully executed. And I'm sure anybody that's ever talked about the movie in any long form like we are right now has a hard time not talking about it, even when you've mentioned it more than one time, like we have so far. It's just that amazingly executed that you, you can't not think about it and revert back to it, refer back to it quite often. And think about it too. All those people were cut in half, right? In the beginning, or not just some were beyond cut in half, some were cut into thirds. Right. Yes. But do you notice that we never see anybody like that again? Right. We don't see any half people, any half ghosts, or right. uh, yeah, yeah. I it's funny because I was thinking about that like while before we got to the end where they you know the big reveal, and I was like, Well, where are all these half ghosts, man? And we, we do see the captain sitting at the desk with uh burn. And we know what happened to that guy because we saw it on camera. Right. right. But there's nothing wrong with him. The BTS has half of his head sitting on the desk, but you don't see it in the movie. KB guys, they made all those prosthetics that they had. They, they took his head that was in that opening scene. And even though there's some CG in the movie for, to create his effect, he still had a prosthetic. It was still legit there. And that head was on the desk when he and Byrne are having their bar moment from The Shining. <laughs> By the way, too, can, speaking of uh, how can how, how heavy handed is that part too? Right. And they're sharing a drink, and he, and he, and then Byrne hasn't had a drink in years, and I'm like going, oh my gosh, can you be so obvious about it? It makes me wonder too. Is that part of Hanlon's original script, or did they you know did they ratchet that one up? Yeah, it's. I'm, I was thinking the same thing, like, oh, was this in the script or was this somebody said, hey, man, you know, if we're going to, you know, we might as well lean way into it. And just Let's right. just do it. Let's just do it. Dude, they even go as far as to, I mean, when they get to reveal that Desmond's this agent of death, right? You, or, I mean, I'm, I'm probably giving away too much gravitas. <laughs> That's not really what it is. You know, management, as they say. They even do the whole photograph thing, right? Yes. Where Burns got the photograph, right? Of Desmond going, oh, shit, he's the only lone, he's the lone survivor of the Lorelei, right? So what the fuck? Right. Yeah. It's just like the ending where, you know, you've, well, you've always been here and you push in on the. On the photograph and there's Jack smack dab in the middle. Yeah. I don't, I don't dislike the movie either. It's a movie I probably. If I, if I were to watch it again, I would probably just watch pieces of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, honestly, if I'm being honest, uh, yeah, you know, I'd watch the beginning, obviously, you know, and there's a couple other sequences in there, but again, to watch it, to sit down and actually watch it and, you know, not be tied to the sofa. Probably not. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, you know, remembered better, better remembered. I mean, I remember liking things about the movie and I saw it on the big screen on a Friday night when it came out, but watching it now, like, uh, okay, there's still some things I like about it, but not as many, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. I, I, who knows, man, that's part of the whole thing, right? What take away from your first viewing and when you review it and, you know, do you still like the same things about it? Do you still feel the same way? I would say I kind of do feel the same way, but maybe at the time, I remember not loving it, but I liked enough about it to be like, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I was worth the 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> right. But exactly. Yeah. I want to point out one more thing too. Um, when the main rewrite of this movie, even though um, Hanlon had his past, cause that's all WGA stuff, John Pogue, who actually wrote something we just covered recently. He wrote a U.S. Marshals. So he did the, he, he gets the, the main rewriting, the, the, the main credit for the script. So again, he, I got a feeling that, you know, Pogue probably came in here and just, when you're coming on assignment like that, you just do what they ask you to do. You get your pass and then they give you notes and then that's what they let you do. And, and I think that's what the tough part about the movies. It suffers from that. It suffers from having too many notes instead of just let it be what it's going to be. I still think it had that really graphic opening. And then even if it was just a, a middle of the road ghost story, then, well, I already, that's what I thought it was going to be anyway. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and there's something to be said too, but putting on a, on a ship, you know, <laughs> but I'll say this though, you know, the movies on a, on a cruise liner that moves at a very slow pace at moments. So does the movie itself. But so does, <laughs> just like the movie, just like the ship. So does cruise control. If you ever watch that speed sequel, what a piece of shit. I mean, talk about a movie shoehorning action into what it just whatever. But here it works better than it does in speed. Two. Yes. Let's give our top five movies of that take place on a cruise ship. Right. <laughs> talk about that. Right. You know, the Poseidon adventure, you got this, you got Titanic. I mean, there's not a lot of movies. <laughs> you get the Poseidon Adventure 2005. You got uh, Poseidon. Poseidon. This one just called Pos- Was that is that the re- isn't the remake? It's just called Poseidon, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it's just Poseidon with Kurt oh, Russell, Kurt Josh Russell. Lucas. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Josh Lucas. Uh, who else is in that movie? Richard Dreyfuss and a bunch of other people. I can't remember, but yes. Yeah. But that's what I mean. You, there's only so many movies and well, think about all those movies too. And you're on a boat. You, so yeah, you can only, you can only do what you can do. Right. They can't all be deep rising. No. D- deep rising is special. That's the thing about the, the movies that we're talking about this month. This is the one that seems to, like you said, have an identity crisis. The other two kind of know what they're trying to be. And this one just, I, I don't know. I think they were trying to top themselves from the previous. Yeah. I mean, it's, let's give them an A for effort. Look, dude, every time they raised the bar, like from Han, they, you know, they kept getting bigger. They kept, it yeah. wasn't like, oh, hey, our movie's only, you know, they didn't, they didn't start cutting back on budgets and money. The movie looks great. The interiors of the ship, dude, they look fucking great. The sets, the design, I mean, the cinematography is good. Yep. All of the craft part of it. I mean, they're, they're still spending money and, just, you know, this one kind of got lost. I think there were too many cooks in the kitchen, as they say. And plus, you know, everything they added on became a minus, you know. Hey, let's do this bit. You know, you know how it is, right? Everybody's like, gets super excited about, oh, we should do this, you know. And nobody was there to say, guys, no, no, not doing that. We don't need it. Right. There's a moment in this series of movies that we're covering. We've done them in order so far. We did Haunted Hill, then 13 Ghosts, and 
say we're covering the third movie they've put out, Ghost Ship. So we have one more for you for Dark Castle. And I think this one is one we've been looking forward to the most. And again, like we, we're trying to, we're, we try to be real, really big on closing out a series with one that we're anticipating being the most conversational. And I think this one is going to be that because it sure was conversational when it came out. <laughs> oh, for many reasons. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of reasons. <laughs> Speaking of fun cast choices. Again, I don't, I don't want it to sound, I think we're both in agreement here. We don't want it to sound like we dislike this movie. It's just, it's unevenness kind of takes it out of you. And, and it's like being on a choppy sea <laughs> for 90 minutes. You know, you know, when you're stranded on a raft in the ocean and yeah. 90 minutes seems like nine days. Yeah. Let's just say this. If you're going to sit down and watch Ghost Ship and revisit or revisit, for you know, or see for the first time, bring your drum. I mean, because you're going to need it. Yes. <laughs> bring it. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Princess Cruises. No, I'm just kidding. You can follow us at Karate Pod. Uh, if you want to follow us on Letterboxd, uh, you follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to follow us on Instagram, that's at Karate Pod. Or if you'd like to support the show on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. Thank you, Patreon supporters. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Murphy on Letterboxd. That's Murphy. No, actually, it's just still Tom <laughs> Cody at Letterboxd. Thank you.
I don't want to cry You can take 